The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is February 15th, 2024. I have been living off of Valentine's Day candy for like three days. <laughs> so it's pretty sick. And it. it's gotten to I love candy and chocolate. I am obsessed with it, honestly. But I even got to the point where I was like, whoa. <laughs> I feel sick. Enough I need to enough. stop. <laughs> like I need to draw the line somewhere. And I'm just right now surrounded by candy because since me and Mike, like, we're moving and everything is chaotic and we don't want to spend any more money, we just got each other a couple candies each. So that's cute. Just lots of candies. Um, Moving is horrific. Everything is in shambles. I hate it. I never want to move again. (laughs) I haven't even done that much. And this is not motivating me to do more. Just living among boxes is a real headache. And I hate it. So that's where I'm at. Just surviving on chocolate and anxiety, fear <laughs> of moving. That's a process for sure, isn't it? What's going on with you? Well, here's the weekly car update. <laughs> no update. Um, they were meant to call me Tuesday this week. He didn't. So I emailed them Wednesday and he said he's just waiting to hear from the manufacturer. You know, I get he is just the middleman in all this. So I'm dealing with the Australian someone in the Australian office he has to go through then to the Asian office um yeah still haven't heard anything and then after I emailed him and he said he was waiting I like I was thinking I bet what's going to happen is in a few weeks they're going to turn around and say oh here's your car back it's all fixed where we've explicitly told them we don't want the car back repaired because a they don't know what is wrong with her and I feel like we shouldn't have to accept a repaired vehicle when it could have been such a horrible incident so our position and I think our right so that we are entitled to a refund or replacement I'm very happy with a replacement that's fine um but then I thought I'd just be they're gonna be like hey here's your car back so I sent him another email saying I just want to reinforce our position that this is what we are asking for and you know blah 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 so he wrote back that he understands my frustrations and basically he can't do anything until he hears from the other office which I agree um you know I, I get that so no update um there was an interesting case here where Mazda which is not the, my vehicle type but Mazda have been fined I think 12 million dollars by the Australian Consumer Commission for misleading consumers about what they were entitled to they told nine consumers that they were only entitled to repairs when they were entitled to refunds or replacements so I have the details of the person who worked on that case with the commission so hopefully I won't need them but um, yeah at least that's a good little tick for my camp by having Mm -hmm. a case that's similar um go to court and the car company not winning so anyway we'll see still nothing i'm gonna wait now to email them till tuesday next week which is five weeks since the car has been off the road um because i figure that's a good time stamp (laughs) yeah it's just like crazy how long it's taking i know i know and i was just saying in our patreon episode like it's friday here which i love because i'm like yes i get two days off i know they're not going to ring me on the weekend i just live in fear of them ringing me and having to 
advocate for myself. Like I'm just like, can you just agree and just let's just move on from this? Yeah, um, it's just like a dark cloud hanging over your head. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's about it. Non-update, but still in the process. Yeah, I was just thinking when because you said you were saying the days of the week when this episode comes out. I'm like really gonna be moving because I'm trying to move by next weekend. So this will come out on Thursday. I'm taking off work Friday and Monday to try to get the bulk of it done. So just like send me some positive energy because I'm probably <laughs> gonna want to jump off the roof at that point. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, surely I would have heard something about this car, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully things are on the up for us. I 2024 is our year. <laughs> I think it was after the last episode and someone sent a little image they'd made to the Instagram, which was funny, and it was basically oh, a, car, lemon. a lemon on wheels and it was something like us waiting to hear about Olivia's car update. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that just made me think. Also, so many of you have been sending like nice messages lately. So thanks for that because yeah. you know, they're very much appreciated, especially when we're both stressed out <laughs> about things and, and just I, nice to know that people care. Especially when we get the occasional mean message. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the nice ones outweigh them. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I've, I think I've mentioned it in passing. Like I just stopped reading a lot of the comments because Spotify just lets anyone comment on anything. And <laughs> there are lots of nice ones, but then you just get because anyone can comment. You just get so much dumb stuff and then I feel insecure and then I feel like I'm not like being myself and I just want to be able to be myself and because that's what the people who like the podcast like and I don't want to like, feel insecure. So I stopped reading a lot of things. But when you message the inst- – if you want to be mean, message the Instagram and say it to our faces <laughs> because we read those. So if you want to be nice, message the Instagram because we also read those. I feel like it's the number one rule of anyone who creates content or puts anything on the internet. Do not read the comments. <laughs> mm-hmm. It gets hard because yeah. even though you're like, don't let it get to you, then you think like, oh, this person, like these people said this was annoying that I do. And then you stop doing it. But then there's people that like you being yourself and it's also frustrating because I feel like for us our number one criticism that we get is you guys talk for too long which I get you know I get sometimes I wouldn't want to listen to it either but we literally put timestamps at the start of every single notes every single episode there's a disclaimer saying hey here's a fast forward to the timestamps I just don't know what else we can do like it's I feel like sometimes it's not even the criticism that hurts it's just frustrating we're we're trying our best we do everything we can to accommodate everyone and it's still not enough yeah. And if everyone hated the chat, we wouldn't do it anymore because sometimes I really don't have anything to chat about. But there's tons of people <laughs> who message us saying that they like the chat, like hearing about our lives, like knowing that we're relatable people. So I don't know. It's literally at the start of the episodes, the start of the episode notes being like, hey, there's a timestamp. Just click it. And people are still like, oh, my God, can you believe this chat? <laughs> And then do you know what? Some and I, I get some people still don't know about the timestamp. So I told someone that, and they're like, oh, like they like, oh, they were so appreciative. They're like, oh, thank you. I didn't know. Thank you so much. So we're, if you want to know, just send us a message, and we can always try and help you find a solution to whatever the issue is. I just don't get how it's. I guess you because some podcasts I listen to a lot. I know they have um, like a dynamic ad at the start, or just like an intro at the start that I fast forward. So maybe that's why people don't hear it. But, like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> if you're fast-forwarding that part, then why aren't you fast-forwarding the chat? Anyway. I don't know. Can't win. No. 
Before we get into the episode, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, Cook Unity. You know, sometimes when you're just really craving a specific dish, lately I've been craving spaghetti carbonara, you know, cheesy, delicious, beautiful, yummy pasta. And sometimes you just really need to go to a restaurant to get a dish like that right. It would be so great to be able to get that level of culinary satisfaction at home. So Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every single week. And it's cheaper than other delivery options. You can go to cookunity.com slash TCS or enter the code TCS before checkout for 50% off your first week. I've talked about Cook Unity a few times and lately it's been absolutely life-saving for me because I'm moving. I don't have a kitchen at my new house. I'm just so busy packing stuff here all the time and all the boxes are taking up space. I, I don't have space to cook. I don't have space to do anything. And for a while I was having to order fast food, but I don't want to order fast food, obviously, because it's not great for you to have that often. It's been so great to be able to have what feels like an actual home-cooked or restaurant-cooked meal that's handcrafted by a chef and that has sides. So it just feels a lot more fulfilling than getting relying on fast food. You could pick as few as four or as many as 16 meals per week. There's a lot of different ways to customize the plan for your needs. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash TCS or enter code TCS before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code TCS or going to cookunity.com slash TCS. Okay, so the topics we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about Lacey Lynn Overby. She is a woman who was allegedly kidnapped by a homeless man after she purchased food for him in DeSoto, Texas. We've been posting about this online a lot and people have been following it because um, it does have... It's a very unusual story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, lot of, a lot of speculation about what happened and what's being said, so we'll get into all that. And then it reminded a lot of people of... The American Nightmare case that's in the Netflix documentary. Um, so we're going to go over that one because they are a little... They have similarities, me. but I feel like they're also probably going to end up having a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, not everyone has Netflix. Like me, I got kicked off my parents' plan, still haven't got a new plan. So I haven't even watched the documentary yet. So thank God for Olivia's notes telling me about <laughs> it. So I can feel included with everyone talking about it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with Lacey. 37-year-old Lacey Lynn Overby is back with her family after she was allegedly kidnapped Thursday afternoon. DeSoto police say around 3.30 p.m., Overby spotted a man who she thought was homeless near a gas station convenience store. The registered nurse decided to buy the man food from a nearby Taco Casa in Lancaster. The victim was on the phone with a family member uh, when she went to go make contact with the individual who she was bringing food to. DeSoto police say the family member heard a commotion on the other end of the phone. They contacted police and a clear alert went out statewide with Overby's photo and car description. The family member told police Overby described the man before she gave him the food, so police had a description to work with. The suspect is described as a uh, Hispanic male, 25 to 35 years of age, um, ball-headed, wearing a blue and plaid jacket. Around 11 p.m. Thursday, DeSoto police got a call that Overby was in Laredo trying to cross into Mexico. She alerted authorities at the International Bridge that she'd been kidnapped and the suspect was still inside the car. The officials there uh, 
took her to safety. Uh, officers at the International Bridge searched the vehicle. However, they did not locate a suspect in the vehicle at the time. Police say nobody was found in the car with her, and so far, nobody has been arrested. She was obviously very upset when uh, law enforcement made contact with her last night. Um, she was taken for medical exam, um, just you know, just to be safe, make sure she was okay. I can tell you that family is with her at this time. DeSoto police don't have the results from the medical exam. They also don't have a motive for the kidnapping or know if a weapon was used. So like I said, she was kidnapped by a homeless man after she purchased food for him in DeSoto, Texas. She has said that she purchased Mexican food for the man at around 3.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 1st. Reports say that she was on the phone with her daughter during the purchase. The daughter heard commotion and then Lacey's phone died. And just to add in, some of this probably sounds confusing because it was confusing at the time. So we're kind of going in the order that like everything came out. Yeah, so that's what we knew when it first happened. And there's a lot of contradictory statements in this as well. But that is basically what we were told at this at the time that her daughter was on the phone. She kind of heard this noise or whatever. Yeah. And then Lacey was kidnapped. Yeah. So police issued a clear alert for Lacey that day. And a clear alert is issued for missing, kidnapped, or abducted adults who are in immediate danger. It stands for Coordinated Law Enforcement Adult Rescue. So since not everyone can qualify for an Amber Alert, that's a cool thing to have. So police said that the suspect in the case was a Hispanic male between the ages of 25 and 35. Police said he was bald and that he was wearing a blue and white plaid shirt. Um, we have pictures of the clear alert that was posted on our blog and on our Instagram if you want to see it. Um, so according to DeSoto's Lieutenant Chris Huerta, Lacey was found at the U.S.-Mexican border around 11 p.m. on Thursday. Lacey was found in, found in Laredo, Texas, which is around a six-hour drive from DeSoto. So that was around eight or nine-ish hours after she was apparently kidnapped. So she was found the same day. Um, it did seem very serious at the time. Like everyone was, there's all these alerts going out. And I feel like the alerts took a few hours to come out. So she was, but yeah, essentially she was missing for around eight or nine hours all up. And it seemed like a lot of her friends found their way to Facebook yeah, groups very quickly, and were talking yeah. very quickly about how she loves helping homeless people and she's always she used to buy food. food yeah like this was something she apparently did quite often yeah so this is um an excerpt from an article after she was found it says police stated lacy was the one who alerted the authorities that she was being held against her will while on the bridge police searched the vehicle and were unable to find her suspected kidnapper and it's unclear how the escape occurred so after lacy was found there was Pretty much radio silence. There was no manhunt for the suspect, and all media agencies went quiet about the case. And as of February 15th, there's been no other updates. No other that. updates from law enforcement, anyway. Yeah, like just nothing. They're just like she was found. No official no. updates. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. So then Lacey did put out a statement of her own because. People on the internet were kind of in an uproar about it, you know, after seeing like what happened with Carly Russell and Sherry Papini and Madison Bell. It, a lot of people were like, was this real? Why are the police not 
actively looking for a suspect? Why is there no information coming out? And and when we said too that she was found at the US-Mexico border, she was, but I believe she was actually found in a line to cross, like, so she was in her vehicle in a line to cross the border. So everyone's like, oh, what is going on here? And there was a lot of red flags that were raised after she was found. Yeah. So then um, Lacey did release a statement on her Facebook account and it says, okay, guys, I see that everyone's freaking out and whining the story. DeSoto PD was supposed to release a statement yesterday and did not. Well, I believe this is absolutely no one's business besides my own. I also believe since DeSoto decided to plaster this everywhere and then not inform the public of anything else, that people are owed an explanation and to know if they are in danger or not. It's so crazy. I'm, I'm interrupting, but it's so crazy. Decided to plaster this everywhere. I was just going to say the same thing. All they did was talk about how she was abducted and asked for people's help. Like <laughs> All they did was try to find you, but okay. <laughs> um, I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you to everyone who dropped everything and drove down to be with my kids. Thank you to everyone who shared, this po- who shared the post. Thank you to everyone who has sent messages, texts, calls, everything. I will try to respond to everyone in time. What you all did for my family and I will never be forgotten. And if any of you who helped ever need anything from us, do not hesitate to ask. Thank you. She tagged Chelsea Boyd, who I feel did more police work in a timely manner than any other department involved. And she was two hours away. It's like you're going to say they plastered everything everywhere and then be like, my random friend did more work. Yeah, did more than the place. (laughs) I also want to thank Carrie RN and Haley RN and oh at BS and W Frisco. I'm assuming that's I'll just look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's a hospital. Mm. Uh, Bayless Scott and White Medical Center. So she was obviously taken to hospital, like a medical center or hospital after her okay. um, kidnapping to nurses. check her over. Along with Amy RN from The Turning Point. You three and you three alone made the medical part of this endurable. You are truly compassionate, caring, and honestly, the only three medical professionals who are competent in this whole ordeal. So thank you from all of us. Lacey is also a nurse, just to kind of add that in. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like she's pointing a lot of fingers at a lot of, people. A lot of backhandedness. Yeah, like you are the only ones who did anything and you are the only ones who helped me. It's like an award acceptance speech also. Mm. Before I say any more, this is what everyone needs to know. This man was not homeless. Yes, he was of Spanish slash Hispanic ethnicity. This has absolutely nothing to do with President Biden nor politics. I'm assuming she must have been presented with some conspiracy theories involving that. Otherwise, it seems pretty random. Yeah. Um, She went on to say, I am not unharmed mentally nor physically. So please, please stop bashing the homeless the Hispanic population, and accusing me of voting for Biden and having a secret agenda. If I wanted to throw some excitement in my life or needed a break from my children, as some are saying, I would have gone to the spa or went for drinks like a normal human being. I wouldn't have driven to Laredo of all places. So quit with all the social media bashing and of all and so quit with all the social media bashing of all of this, please. Approximately 3.20 p.m. last Thursday, I was abducted near a gas station in Lancaster, Texas, after seeing a patient in DeSoto. I was then forced to drive to Mexico for reasons we are still working to figure out. We stopped three times from DeSoto to Lancaster until I reached the border, once for him to use the bathroom on the side of the highway, once at exit 111 to get gas, and then I was made to stop 
And then I was made to stop and given details to drive straight through the border. This man had slash has my driver's license and a debit card with my children's picture on it. That's why I listened to every word I was told slash instructed, and I do it all over again. My family is the single most important thing in my life, and those were the people I was thinking about during this whole ordeal. The only reason I am alive is because OnStar finally got me to a real person after pressing the button a million times, as I do not have a subscription to them. And when I say the only reason, I mean the only reason. More of that. <laughs> Laredo did not assist in this at all. The border did not assist in this at all. I drove to that border fearing my children were in danger and not a single person assisted me besides the lady speaking to me in my car. But I'm also like, did you tell them? I know. It's, like I have the border so, like, Even people? as we're just reading through this, I just have so many questions. <laughs> I know. That's why I keep being like, <laughs> like, did you tell the border people you need help? I can't imagine her going up to people working at the border being like, I'm being forced to cross the border. Mm. And then being like, um, shut up and get over the border. <laughs> I don't know. Everything that has been put out in the media is not accurate. I have not included many, many details due to being unsure of our next steps. But listen to me when I tell you, do not ever, and I mean ever, go to that town for anything. All of my girls on here, beware of your surroundings at all times. This issue with trafficking and the border being practically wide open to Mexico is very, very real, and it is a huge problem that needs to be fixed. I'm not saying any of this as a political view. Do not twist my words and believe I am. I saw firsthand how awful Laredo, how awful Laredo slash Border Patrol is, and now I'm going to do whatever I can and voice my story however, however I can to help all the people who have disappeared from the U.S. and went through what I did and worse. This issue is no longer about what I went through. I am healing mentally and physically, and we will all get through it somehow. But when does this all end? How many people need to be taken or treated this way before something is done? It needs to end, and I plan on doing my part to help. On February 12, Lacey gave an interview to Fox News. There is some footage of the interview. She asked him not to show her face, which I feel like that horse has already bolted. <laughs> but the agency also did not use her name. So they refer to her in the article as the woman. There's a clip too if you want to put it in. Okay. It says, the woman says on February 1st that she had just finished work as a nurse when she saw a man near a taco casa in Lancaster. She bought him tacos. She said that she left the gas station, she saw the man, and then she tried to give him food in nearby DeSoto. So, like, this is kind of weird. So she saw him, went and bought food, and then went back and found him. She described what happened next. She said, I rolled it down not very far, enough for me to give him the food, obviously referring to the window of her car. She says, the woman says the man reached his arm into her car, put it in park and hopped in her back seat. She said it happened, it happened within 10 seconds, if that. I rolled it down not very far, enough for me to get my arm out to hand him the food. She says the man reached his arm into her car, put it in park and hopped in her back seat. It happened within t 10 seconds of that. She tells us the man told her to get on I-35 and drive south. At one point while he was distracted, she says she texted her daughter with a code phrase they set up for emergencies. I text her purple pancakes. I was able to get that out with my left hand down here. <laughs> she was also able to describe her kidnapper. Her daughter called police. So there's actually a screenshot of the text. Enlarging it. So it says purple pancakes with some exclamation marks. And then like some of this is spelled incorrectly. It says don't call phone hid. Hisp, like Hispanic male, 25 to 35, no hair, blue plaid jacket, schizo. 
Then her daughter replies, calling police. And then she writes, making me exit, says North Chihuahua, 406 exit. And then the daughter writes back, police are coming. Let's, should we discuss this part so far? Yeah. (laughs) So not to show my bias, but I'm just like, the way it's just, first, we first heard, and this was coming out from her friends, that her daughter was on the phone with her and she heard screaming. Yeah, so yeah, that's it. She was talking to her daughter. One of the first contradictory things where there was this commotion and yeah, that obviously wasn't true. She says she rolled the window down, gave him the food. The woman says the man reached his arm into her car, put it in parked, and hopped in her back seat. If she didn't open the window that far, how is he? We need to see what kind of car this is and where the shifter is. Because I know some are by the steering wheel, but he could not be. I feel like that is not like a swift move to make. No. And even then to do it in park and then still get in the back seat. Like it's very weird. Her car is a 2015 silver Chevy Malibu, if that makes a difference. That's funny because I had a Malibu. What was it? 2015. Malibu. I'm solving this case right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I used to have a Malibu. I'm looking at a 2015 Chevy Malibu inside. The shift to put it in park is where the center console is. So he's reaching all the way in the window that's apparently not open very wide. He's reaching his whole ass arm in to reach the center console and put it in park. I know. (laughs) So I feel like if she had have left out the bit about not rolling it down very far, like that would have made the story more believable if the window was wide open. But even still, if it was wide open, he would have had to like reach totally over her to try to reach that. I don't think it's very easy. I don't know. And then also for her to be able to text this with the hand while she's not driving and not have him notice. Like I just feel like it's, if you're going to kidnap someone, you're not going to let them send a help text from their phone, you would think. Also, again, not to, (laughs) I know I'm being very biased, (laughs) but it's hard And this is why American Nightmare comes into play because people are like, well, you know, I just watched that. So I'm going to try not to judge. Well, let's remember, I didn't see that. (laughs) You can still judge. (laughs) If I'm texting my secret code word to someone, I'm not putting in the effort of putting five exclamation points afterwards. Because on my keyboard, to put an exclamation point, like you have to hit more buttons to to shift it. You have to shift it over there and you have to hit it. I'm like, I'm just sending the word. I don't have time for these exclamation points. And it's funny how like some of the words, I don't know, I spelt wrong. Like they're like, I don't know, your your phone would probably correct the words. I don't know. Like, but she, I feel like she definitely had autocorrect on because some of it. North Chihuahua. And like purple pancakes is fine. Like some of it is fine, but other parts are just like it looks I don't know, a bit sus. <laughs> yeah. So those are those are the thoughts so far. So as we said, her daughter called police. Then she went on to say a little bit after this. So this is Lacey saying this, sorry. A little bit after San Antonio, it just kind of changes. And I realized I was going south, very much south. She said they made three stops, one for gas, another for the man to use the bathroom, and a final stop around 20 miles from the border where she says he got out of the car. She said, I was instructed to stay on that road, drive through the border, not to the border like people were saying, through the border. After I go through the border, I go 20 miles and turn around, and that was it. So that was the plan. A little bit after San Antonio, 
it just kind of changes and I realized I was, I was going south, very much south. I was instructed to stay on that road, drive through the border, not to the border like people are saying, drive through the border. After I go through the border, drive 20 and turn around. That was it. During the drive, she says the man assaulted her and forced her to take pills. She said, yes, I was assaulted physically. I was strangled. I had no choice in this matter, so I took what was in his hand and I swallowed it with water. When he was finally out of the car, Lacey said that she repeatedly hit her OnStar call button. She finally got a hold of someone who said they were getting help for her. I have read that the OnStar in the car wasn't like activated or paid for. I don't know how OnStar works because we don't have it there. But basically, it essentially wasn't working, but she did, did get through to someone. Like a subscription. It's like a subscription. Thing. Yeah. But I was also thinking as I was reading through this, I know eventually it says that apparently he had taken her phone and that's why she had to use OnStar. But, like, at what point did he take her phone because she was able to text? Yeah. And then did they ever find her phone? I'm guessing no. Very strange. Right? I, I, not that I've heard. I don't know. No. Because if she then had no the phone, she, unless the phone was dead, I guess, maybe. But then, I don't know. So she said, so this is her talking to the OnStar lady. She goes, I was telling her I'm literally at the border. I don't think you realize I'm right here. She told me, whatever you do, don't drive through. So Lacey says she encountered Border Patrol agents while on speaking to the OnStar representative and she was taken to a hospital in Laredo for evaluation. She said, don't think that'll never happen to me. It does happen and it did happen. She said that she's also aware of negative comments around her story and has a message for anyone who is doubting her. She said that was completely out of line, very out of line. You don't know what my children went through in those hours. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and wanted to give a guy a taco. That's it. Um, so Fox 4 reached out to DeSoto to ask if they had any updates in the case. They said it's an ongoing investigation. We were sent a screenshot, which I can't verify, but it is apparently from the DeSoto police from someone who asked for an update. And they wrote, we understand the public is wanting an update and I am working to get something put out. However, this is still a delicate situation, especially because we need to keep the victim in mind. I will say that if there was an immediate threat, we would have notified the public immediately. And that for me, like, I don't know if that that screenshot is real, but for me anyway, that is the main point in this. Why was it not a manhunt for this trafficker, this kidnapper? The police have never, ever, like there's been nothing in terms of them trying to find this person. Could be shoddy police work, I guess, but I just feel like it sounds like they know that there essentially is no one to search for. And I don't, I'm just confused and I just looked it up because I've never crossed the border into Mexico. I've never been to Mexico been to canada but did she have her passport like you still they, like they weren't did they just let you cross the border because looking it up it says you need a passport yeah i don't know I, to be I, allowed to cross i feel like sometimes i've heard you just need like a driver's license i don't know if that's true and i don't I'm know on if the, it depends on on the travel.state.government website it says driving to mexico you'll need a temporary permit if you're driving beyond the border zones in mexico Mexico enforces the permit if you're driving 20 kilometers or more from the border. Oh, is that me? That's why she got the 20 from. Yeah, maybe. You do not need a permit in the Baja Peninsula. U.S. citizens must present a valid U.S. passport book or card, and an entry permit is issued by the, the government. <laughs> so, like, I just, I, I don't really understand. Like, I know she's saying this man told her to drive 20 miles and turn around like, was someone going to be at that 20-mile point? I just don't understand what 
the point of it was. I don't know. Like it's very unusual. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think I pretty much said like my thoughts on it. And what gets me is like how much this initial story has changed, and just the logistics of it. Yeah, I could understand maybe if this happened and she was, I get being afraid under pressure. If he did get out of the car. But I don't, I don't know. It's just something feels off about it. But again, you never know as we'll talk about with the rest of the the next case. I feel like if I hadn't seen American Nightmare, I'd be like absolutely 100% this case is fake. And I still feel like it probably will be, end up being probably a hoax. But I, now there's that tiny sliver of doubt in my mind, whereas before there never would have been. I also just think if there's more verifiable information, the police would have said more by now. Yeah, I just feel like there's there's been nothing. There's been no search. There's been no statement from police. Like we are working on the case. There's just been absolutely nothing. Um, so anyway, I guess we'll wait and see. But I did ask on Instagram and Facebook, we did polls on what people thought had happened and the results were very different, which I find interesting. So on Instagram, 38% of people, which was 800 votes, said that they thought it was a genuine kidnapping. 28% or around 600 votes said they thought it was a mental break. 25% and just about 550 votes said they thought it was a hoax. And 9% said other, because obviously you can only do four um options on Instagram poll. But on Facebook, 79%, um, so we had about a thousand votes on Facebook, 79% of them said they thought it was a hoax, 14% said a mental break, 6% said a genuine kidnapping, and 1% other. So a very different um, result. But I feel like that's because there's a lot more information available to people on Facebook. People can read and chat, whereas on Instagram, it's literally just based off reading our stories and, you know, just the general basic news articles that we can put out there yeah and um I did notice in the comments on we were talking about in one of our patreon chats too that a lot of the people who are like I'm gonna believe her until Until, we know more it's literally people saying because they watched American Nightmare (laughs) and we're going to speak about American Nightmare next but to be honest like I feel like it is an unbelievable story as well it seems totally made up but it wasn't so you know sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction but I just feel like There's so many discrepancies and inconsistencies in this case based on what we've been told. Maybe it'll turn out to be different if more information does come out. But at this stage, I just feel like it's, you know, a mess. I also think with the American Nightmare case, like, again, I didn't watch a documentary, so I'm just going off what I read online, that it could have been believable. Like, it does still seem a little like, well, this is crazy. But the police were the ones who made it seem not believable. Yeah especially because they put in literally the most minimal effort ever. (laughs) And it's crazy. Like I feel like when we were waiting to hear more about Lacey, I said to the police, I feel like I've watched American Nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, they're afraid. Yeah. So that is it in terms of the Lacey case for now. There's been no new updates um, from the media. Like everyone seems to have maybe just dropped this case. They don't want to be involved anymore. Most of the updates, the articles are two weeks ago. So Anyway, we'll wait and see. Peep was giving her opinion. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> what do you think? She's meowing away from the microphone. Not a good co-host. <laughs> Peep. There you go. That's what you think? Okay. Wow. 
Very nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Passion. Um, okay, so we'll get into American Nightmare now. Um, so as we said, it was a big Netflix documentary. A lot of people said it was very good. I haven't watched it, but I would like to. What You watched it. What did you think of it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, I shouldn't really say I enjoyed it because it's about someone's tragedy you and found it interesting. trauma. It was very interesting. It's quite short. Like I think it's three, maybe 40, 45-minute episodes. Um, everyone's like, I have so many questions after. I mainly just have one question, which we'll get into at the end. But yeah, I thought it was well done, um, intriguing, interesting. If you are into true crime documentaries, it was a good one to watch. So this is, it's the story of the kidnapping of Denise Tuskins. So Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn, they were dating each other in 2015. Denise was 29 and Aaron was 30 at the time. They met the year previous. They're living in Vallejo, California, and they were working as physical therapists. Denise had moved to the area of Huntington Beach around about a year prior. So just to note, as it shows up in online articles about the case in 2005, Denise pled guilty to misdemeanor for driving with a blood alcohol content over the legal limit, and her sentence included three years probation and a first offender's alcohol program. Just kind of shows like that was 10 years before this happened. Essentially, they had no other criminal record or anything. Shady to note. behavior. Yeah, that would have put them in this situation. Mm. So Denise obtained a physical therapist license in Massachusetts after studying at the Long Island University in Brooklyn. Aaron, before he started dating Denise, he was engaged to a woman named Andrea Roberts. In 2015, Denise found out that Aaron had been contacting Andrea and that they had been discussing getting back together. Denise was understandably uncertain about whether to continue her relationship with him, and she agreed to meet with Aaron at his home on March 12, 2015, to discuss this. Aaron said in an interview, I was very conflicted because I was obviously attracted to Denise. I also didn't trust myself anymore, and it references that he had just gotten out of relationship with his fiance, who had apparently cheated on him at it the time. Like he was quite hung up on Andrea still, like he wasn't totally over it. Yeah. Denise said that she could see the man that Aaron was and she could see the good in him. She said, I knew that he'd be a great partner, but I could see that he was struggling. Um, she also said, I finally just put my foot down and said, look, I don't deserve this. And it was a couple weeks of kind of going back and forth. She said, I brought pizza and we sat on the couch most of the night and talked. We talked about how it would be difficult. We had to rebuild trust. But as long as he was willing to really give it a shot, then we could try again. So it seems like Denise ended up staying that night at Aaron's and the couple, they then went to sleep after their talk. So Aaron said that around 2 a.m. on March 23rd at 1.05 a.m., he woke to a bright light shining in his eyes and noise that sounded like a stun gun and the voice of a man who demanded he and Denise lie face down on the bed. The attacker ordered that Denise and Aaron lay still. Denise said, I remember being asleep and hearing a voice and thinking it was a dream, but the voice kept talking, and I just remember my eyes shot open, and I could see the walls illuminate with a white light that was flashing, and I could see a couple of red laser dots crossing the wall, and I could hear, wake up, this is a robbery, we're not here to hurt you. And in that moment, I just thought, oh, my God, this is not a dream. Denise and Aaron were bound with zip ties and were blindfolded with swimming goggles that had been blacked out with duct tape. The couple also had headphones put on them, and they heard a pre-recorded message. Denise said there were pre 
there were these pre-recorded messages. They're going to give us the sedative, and if we didn't take it, they would inject it intravenously. The message also said that they would be punished with face cutting or electric shocks if they didn't obey their commands. Aaron said that his pre-recorded message referred to him by name, and in that moment, he said he thought to himself, we're in a lot of trouble, and this is planned. At one point in the attack, the intruder seemed to realize that something had gone wrong. Um, a reporter who had been working on this case, Melanie Woodrow, said, He's being asked questions. At some point, the intruder realizes that they've got the wrong person. The intruder says, We have a problem. And he says to Aaron, Do Denise and your ex-fiance look alike? And Aaron was like, Yes, they both have long blonde hair. And so then the intruder was like, We got the wrong intel. So I guess they thought that Denise was really going to be Andrea for whatever reason. I feel like that that part of the story is a little bit different to what they say in the Netflix in the Netflix documentary. They basically in the documentary if I remember rightly um Denise only finds it out once she's been abducted and it's like later on. So I that part about the intruder asking Aaron about it isn't in the Netflix documentary, which is interesting. Hmm. Denise said so this is a quote from Denise. She said, he said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take you for 48 hours and Aaron's going to have to complete some tasks. So Aaron was moved downstairs where he was placed on a couch and told that a camera on the wall would be watching him and that he couldn't leave a perimeter marked by tape on the floor. The man then used duct tape to tie Aaron's ankles and asked him if he was comfortable. Aaron said, I asked for a blanket and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize how, how cold it is because we're all wearing wetsuits. um the attacker told aaron they were going to communicate with him via text and email and that they'd even create an email address for the correspondences aaron said he was told to call out sick at his job and to text denise's boss that she had a family emergency and would be out for a week he was also told that he would have to withdraw money from his bank and that he'd have a camera monitoring his moves aaron said if i went to the police they would kill her Denise was then taken by the abductor and placed into the trunk of a vehicle. Aaron has said that he passed out around 5 a.m. and woke up a few hours later. Due to being sedated, he only had enough energy to call out sick for Denise and himself, and then he passed out again until 11.30. He woke up to new emails and texts from the intruder. They demanded two payments of $8,500, and he responded to the kidnapper's message, but when he didn't hear back, he began to panic. Concerned that the camera the intruders installed was still monitoring, he believed that he couldn't call 911. Aaron's older brother is an FBI agent, so he decided to call him instead. But his brother instructed him to immediately call 911. When officers from the, from the Vallejo Police Department appeared at his home, it had been more than nine hours since Denise had been kidnapped. Aaron said the first question police asked him when he answered the door was, Are you on drugs? And he said, Yes, the kidnappers. Yes, the kidnappers drugged me. I think the police meant it in a different way. <laughs> the police started looking around Aaron's home. Aaron said he starts asking if I'd been partying. I tell him no. He points to some beer bottles that were neatly placed in a box next to the garbage, and I said I put them all in there so that I could take them out all at once to recycling. Aaron was taken to the police station for questioning. In video recordings of the interview, Detective Matthew Mustard, which just makes me think of the game Clue. Oh no, it sounds like such a fake name. <laughs> Detective Mustard <laughs> could be heard asking if there was tension in the relationship and if Aaron was cheating. Aaron said he realized the interview was taking a turn when about 45 minutes into it, Detective Mustard 
leaned back in the chair and told him, I don't think you're being truthful, and I don't think anybody came into your house. Detective Mustard can be heard telling Aaron in the videotaped interrogation, he, quote, the story you're telling here, I ain't buying it at all. And then Aaron said, I'm telling Mustard everything because I have nothing to hide. They told me, Aaron, I need to stay in my house, said that there was going to be video recording to monitor and make sure that I don't contact anyone. Detective Matt Mustard basically blazes over the incident at the house and starts asking about our relationship. I had been talking to my ex, and at that time, when I was still dating Denise. Is there tension in the relationship? Is she mad? Uh, I mean, she's upset. Concerned? Okay. Is she cheating? No, well, she felt that emotionally that was, uh, that was cheating in some sense. I mean, did she, like, discover something? Well, I mean, was she, like, going through your phone and, like, you know, through, what the hell is she this? She through my phone. What'd she find? Found text messages that... Yeah. What'd it say? Um, that, I mean, saying I still care to want to work things through with her. I don't know, about 45 minutes in, he leans back in his chair and he tells me, I don't think you're being truthful. I don't think anybody came into your house. The story you're telling here, I ain't buying it all. You gotta think about how this is all gonna play out. I don't have anything to think about. I'm telling you what. Hey, listen to me. There ain't no frogmen came into your house. Nobody dressed in wetsuits or. It didn't happen. To make matters worse, the detectives had also found a small blood stain on Aaron's sheets. He said, I knew there was an old stain on my sheet. I'd washed those sheets multiple times. It's just a small stain that I wasn't able to get out. Little did I know a quarter-sized bloodstain was going to mean that I was a murderer. Aaron said, they said, maybe we were in a fight and I pushed her down the stairs. Maybe we were experimenting with drugs. Maybe we were into weird sex things and something went wrong. Aaron also took a polygraph test at the time and was told that he failed it. Aaron said he began to doubt his own sanity. He said, I thought maybe I did have a schizophrenic breakdown. And that's why you should never take a lie detector from police because they can just lie to you. I'm so surprised, which I know I'm going off on a tangent, but someone with an FBI agent brother still took a lie detector. <laughs> was so vulnerable to the police. Yeah. Um, so police held a press conference on March 24th, 2015. Authorities suggested that Denise was kidnapped for ransom and asked for help in the search. Lieutenant Kenny Park with the department said they were doing everything they could to find Denise. They searched uh, They searched teams focused on it on Mare Island, California, and the surrounding areas. They used sonar to help in the search. There was more than 100 trained search personnel, and they basically searched that area because of its proximity to where Denise went missing. Investigators said that there was no specific tip that led them to that area, though. In reality, Denise had been taken to a property in South Lake Tahoe, which was around three or three and a half hours drive away from Vallejo. In the documentary, Denise speaks about two instances of sexual assault that she suffered at the hands of her attacker. He blackmailed her and made her act like the attack was consensual. He told her that he was filming at both times and that he would use the footage against her if she went to the police. She goes in, in the documentary, she goes into detail. Like he actually sounds like he was trying to be kind and nice to her and almost like he regretted having to sexually assault her, which obviously he didn't because he did it twice. Like he's just doing his job. Yeah, basically like she, she, like obviously he's a monster, but she describes it as if he was quite, like he would sing and clean the house. Like she could tell he was sweeping and washing up and things like that. Like he wasn't a 
um, I don't know, like obviously he was a horrible person, but he wasn't essentially mean to her besides the attack, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, just doing his job. So on March 24, the San Francisco Chronicle received an email from an anonymous person claiming to be holding Denise and included an audio file of a woman who identified herself as Denise and they, she also mentioned that there was a plane crash in the French Alps to verify that she was alive. So that had happened the day of the, of the audio. So, you know, that was proof that she was alive but it hadn't been pre-recorded. Her father confirmed that the voice in the file was Denise's. After the paper got this file, Aaron was given back his phone by police who had taken it, I guess, to look into. A member of Aaron's legal team noted that the phone had been put into airplane mode and when they turned that mode off, the phone was flooded with messages. So the police put the phone on airplane mode. It was later discovered that during that time, the kidnapper had called the phone three times. On March 25th, 2015, the kidnapper put Denise back into the trunk of the vehicle and drove her almost 500 miles to Huntington Beach in California. The kidnapper let Denise out of the vehicle and he drove off. She said, I heard him drove off. I slowly counted to 10. I peeled the tape off my eyes and I was by myself in this alleyway. So the kidnapper had also taken some of Denise's bags, like I guess her handbag and different things like that when he abducted her. He had removed them from the car and placed them on the ground. She said, I grabbed my bags and started walking down that alley and I looked at the corner street name and I saw Utica, which is the street where I grew up on. There's actually CCTV of Denise walking down this street which is crazy like she does look a bit dazed and confused and she's walking a bit funny which I guess you would be after being in a trunk and being abused and attacked and all that but there's CCTV of that so we'll pop that up on the story as well. Denise realized that she had been dropped off near her mother's house but when she arrived at the house no one was there. She borrowed a cell phone from a stranger and called her father who didn't answer. After leaving a voicemail with him, she began walking to her father's house. She said a neighbor allowed her into the house and while she waited, her father said he heard the voicemail and got word to the Huntington Beach Police Department. Just a a side note before, because otherwise I'll just forget. I think what makes this case seem unbelievable in all the ones that are usually lies seem unbelievable is the fact that she just got dropped off, was let go on a random street. Because with, with her bags. Usually that's not the case. Like, yeah. Usually they get murdered or... Or dumped in the middle of nowhere or something like that. Yeah, or they're like kept locked up in a basement until police happen to find them and save them. So I feel like that's what the red flag is normally that makes people be like, okay, this is weird. Why would he do all this and then just let her go? And when she, where she was let out is like a suburban, very densely populated area. Like it's not... Yeah, it's just like with, uh, with tons Carly, of people around. Yeah, Carly Russell is the same thing. She just walked to her parents' house, and I was like, "There's no way she just getting dropped <laughs> off and then walking to her parents' house." So Huntington Beach police officers arrived at the neighbor's apartment where Denise was waiting, and she basically told them everything. They did ask her though if she'd been sexually assaulted, and she said that she hadn't. She said that she said that because the kidnapper had threatened her and her family if she revealed two specific details, which were that was that anyone involved in the abduction was in the military or that she had been raped. She said, I had no reason to believe at the time that they doubted me. I was just more so afraid that speaking to them was going to put me or my family in harm's way. So Denise's parents were in Vallejo assisting the police, but they contacted some family back in Huntington Beach to go and be with her. Her cousin, who was an attorney, insisted that he be allowed to see her. According to Denise, the famous detective Mustard told her cousin, who was the lawyer, will give immunity to whoever confesses first to making this whole thing up. 
On the day that Denise was freed, the Vallejo police spokesperson, Kenny Park, hosted a police conference where he basically suggested that Aaron and Denise had lied about the whole ordeal. He said, Mr. Quinn and Miss Huskins have plundered valuable resources away from our community and taken the focus away from the true victims of our community while instilling fear amongst our community members. So if anything, it is Mr. Quinn and Miss Huskins that owe this community an apology. That's a crazy statement to make like, like, and that's before the day, everything's done. The day that she was freed, before they could even do any investigation, even if you had your thoughts and suspicions, I feel like you would absolutely not hold that press conference the day of. Yeah. So Denise hired criminal attorney Doug Rappaport and she spoke about how she had told her attacker that she had been molested as a child. She said, I shared with him about being molested as a child and thinking too that maybe if he found out and had heard how I'd already been violated and how it had impacted me in my life, that perhaps some bit of him would have gone, okay, I won't do this again, I'm not going to, which obviously didn't work. Denise told Doug that her abductor told her that he was part of a criminal criminal organisation that included three other members. Each individual was in charge of a different part of her operation. She said that her abductor told her he was being instructed to make the recording, which was the sexual abuse, as a form of collateral over Denise. Once she was released, if she attempted to go to the police, she said the kidnapper told her the group would release the court, release the recording to the internet. After he heard this, Denise's attorney asked Vallejo police to conduct a rape kit and he said they delayed in doing so. I said, we have evidence that going to dissipate and I think that's the most callous thing I've ever heard anyone say from law enforcement. They said, we'll just have her sleep in her clothes and don't take a shower and we'll talk in the morning. Denise spoke about the ordeal. She said, you go through something like that and every moment, every ounce of energy is about how do I live to see another second? That's all you can think about. The last thing you're thinking about is if I do survive, I need to make sure that I'm believable. So the kidnapper seemed to become irritated that the police said this was all a hoax. On March 26, 2015, the San Francisco Chronicle got another anonymous message it contained explicit details about the kidnapping as well as photos of evidence and they even showed the room where Denise had been held captive. By this point, Aaron and Denise hadn't been able to be reunited. Aaron said, I just wanted to hold her. I wanted to tell her I was sorry. I was really afraid that she wouldn't want to see me and that she would wipe her hands clean and they finally met back up a week after the abduction. So after Denise and Aaron reunited, nothing really seemed to happen in the case for months. Aaron and Denise said they lived in a state of fear and Aaron thought he might have been close to losing his job. The break in the case came in June 2015. Police responded to a home in Dublin, California on June 5th. The attacker tried to tie up a couple in the home. This is in the documentary too, and I believe the couple had like a daughter in in her early 20s, so they believe that she may have been the actual target. It says, when he attempts to tie the wife up, the husband jumps across the bed and tackles the suspect. The suspect tries to get away. He, in turn, hits the husband on the head with a maglite-style flashlight and exits the house. That was according to the Dublin Police Sergeant Miguel Campos. So the attacker ended up fleeing the home, but he left his mobile phone behind. (laughs) This is so crazy. Police called a number in the phone and pretended they were a member of the public and said that they'd found the phone and they asked if they knew who it belonged to. The woman on the other end said that she did and she said that the phone belonged to her son, Matthew Mueller. She said that Matthew was staying at her cabin in South Lake Taco. Taco. (laughs) (laughs) She told them Matthew was staying at her cabin in South Lake Tahoe. As some background into him, he had been a US Marine for five years and he'd graduated from Pomona College in California before going to Harvard Law School. So he had been an attorney at one stage. Police went to the cabin where they arrested Matthew without incident and police have said that he looked, quote, unremarkable. 
When they searched the cabin, police found laptops, cell phones, a few stun guns, a lot of ski masks, and an empty bed with no blankets on it, but a sheet that appeared to have been slept on. They also discovered that Matthew was driving a stolen car. There were, um, Detective Campos said there were a number of replica squirt guns. One of them had just your typical pen-style laser pointer that was duct taped to it. So if you remember um, Aaron and Denise, they woke up to the lasers on the wall. Mm-hmm. A Detective Car- Carusu? Carusu. A detective Caruso said there were several swim goggles that were duct taped black. One in particular had a blonde hair strand attached to it. Why would there be a blonde hair stuck to the goggles? In the Dublin home invasion, none of them had blonde hair. So when police looked into Matthew, they found that he had never been charged, but he was a person of interest in several other incidents in nearby cities. Two incidents in 2009 involved an unknown man breaking into the homes of female victims and threatening to rape them. Police also tracked down the owner of the stolen car that had been in Matthew's possession and they were told it had been stolen um, at the time of a kidnapping in Mare Island, which is where Aaron lived and Denise was abducted from. Detective Caruso tried to contact the Vallejo police with information linking Matthew to Denise's case. They had found Aaron's laptop at the cabin and they also found the Huntington Beach address where Denise had been dropped off in the GPS of the car that Matthew had been driving. So, so many things that point to him being involved in her case but when she con- mm-hmm. when they when they contacted the police they told her to contact the FBI the disappearance of 29-year-old Denise Haskins seemed like a case of real life gone girl my wife Amy Elliott Dunn disappeared 3 days ago the hollywood blockbuster about a woman who staged her own kidnapping and magically returned Police have written it off as a hoax. Our investigation has concluded that none of the claims has been substantiated. Even Nancy Grace at the time questioning her story. Everything about this kidnap screams out hoax. But today, the FBI announcing the arrest of 38-year-old Matthew Muller, saying this man was allegedly behind her kidnapping all along. Detectives say the alleged kidnapper, seen here in this KDTV Univision video, was a former Marine and Harvard-educated attorney who was practicing as recently as 2012 and recently disbarred. Mueller is already in custody, charged with another home invasion, and authorities say there may be even more crimes linked to him. Huskins' attorney speaking out today. Today is a terrific day for them. That doesn't mean that they didn't suffer the ordeal that they went through. This changes nothing about the humiliation, the violence that was perpetrated on them nearly four months ago by a psychopath, a sociopath. Nearly four months ago, we told you that Denise Huskins was right, that she was not only innocent of perpetrating a hoax, but that she was a victim of a very serious and violent crime. And tonight, her family relieved and vindicated. Can you imagine being rescued from a kidnapping and then people are on you for committing a crime? So Aaron, Matthew was eventually charged in relation to Denise's case. He was charged with kidnapping for ransom. He pled guilty to the federal kidnapping charge and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. He was then charged in Solano County with kidnapping for ransom, two counts of forcible rape, robbery, burglary, and false imprisonment. He ended up pleading no contest and being sentenced to 31 years on those charges. He also pled guilty to robbery of an inhabited dwelling, residential burglary, and false imprisonment. 
his state sentence will be served concurrently with the federal sentence. It was discovered that Matthew had used a drone to spy on Denise and Aaron prior to the abduction. He also played the pre-recorded message to them on the night of the attack to make it look like there were multiple perpetrators. Denise has said in the past she does believe that there may have been multiple people involved. She said there were things that happened that we saw, that we heard. It would have been impossible to have been done by the one guy. She said there are other people out there. That's something we've had to live, live with and somehow make peace with. So when Matthew was in court, he said that he was sick with shame for the pain and horror he caused. I doubt it because he's a psycho. Yeah. Um, So in 2018, the couple reached a $2.5 million settlement with the city of Vallejo and the police department. Denise said that the Vallejo police never came out and apologised for saying what happened to them was a hoax. Instead, the then police chief, Andrew Bidu, wrote a private letter of apology saying in part that it was now clear what happened was not a hoax or an orchestrated event and that the Vallejo Police Department conclusions were incorrect. They also said the comments from Lieutenant Kenny Parks, so he was the one who held the press conference the day of the abduction and basically said that they made it up um, and that they were promised that the department would apologise in public when Matthew was indicted, which they didn't. In a statement to 2020, Vallejo's public information officer, Christina Lee, admitted it appears that the follow-up personal public apology did not take place. The Huskins-Quinn case was not publicly handled with the type of sensitivity a case of this nature should have been handled with, and for that the city extends an apology to them. Chief Shawnee Williams said in the statement, what happened to Miss Huskins and Mr Quinn is horrific and evil. As the new chief of police, I am committed to making sure survivors are given compassionate service with dignity and respect. Although I was not chief in 2015 when this incident occurred, I would like to extend my deepest apology for how they were treated in in this ordeal. So this case does have a bit of a happy ending. In September 2018, Aaron and Denise got married in Monterey, California. Um, Their first song was Riser and Aaron said it's about rising, very much about overcoming a tragedy and rising like a phoenix from the ashes. The couple now have two daughters, Olivia, who was born in March 2020, and Naomi, who was born in November 2022. Denise spoke about her daughters and said, I want them to know their value and to never let anyone dictate that or determine that for them. And Aaron said, more than anything, I just hope they grow up to be like their mum and if they do that, they'll be okay. So the couple are still together at the time of recording. So that's a one good outcome from this case, which essentially was such an ordeal. Hopefully Netflix paid them for this friggin' documentary. Oh, surely. Because they, like, for anyone who's seen it, they do interviews with the couple. Like, they, it's not just made up of clips and things like that. The couple feature very heavily personally in it. So, yeah, yeah. surely they got something from it. Um, Rightfully so. I was also just thinking the police did such a shit job because they were already saying it was fake before Denise was even found, before the red flag of like, oh, she just turned up. They were already asking Aaron right away, like, all right, well, we don't believe you. Yeah. When I feel like if they put in the smallest smidge of effort, they probably could have proved that someone broke into the house or someone else was in the house. It does, like, I get it. It does sound like an unbelievable story, but they literally did nothing before declaring it was a hoax. No. And it does sound it's like yeah, it's crazy and it sounds like the plot of a movie. Like you hear crazy stories all the time. And I still think like the biggest red flag for people not believing is her just turning it up okay. Yeah. But it, I was telling you it reminded me of um the Cheshire murders in a way cuz that that is a crazy crazy story. This case it's close 
ish to me like it was close enough where it was in my the local news lot also because it was just horrific um the cheshire home invasion murders which is the pettit family it was dr william pettit his wife jennifer their 17 year old daughter Haley, and 11 year old daughter michaela and i'm just saying this from memory briefly but it was in 2007 the wife and kids were at the grocery store basically some guy decided to follow them home so they drove a nice car thought they must be rich so him and his friend got together was like we're gonna rob them so they got together that night they like broke into the house i don't exactly remember how they got into the house or how they rounded everyone up but they like beat them up tied them up put them in their separate rooms or in the basement they sexually assaulted the wife the and the 11 year old and then they made the wife they took her from the house to go to the bank to take out money to give to them brought her back to the house and the whole time the dad was tied up in the basement and he had like a head injury and eventually the the two that broke into the house gasoline the whole house and lit the house on fire and the mom and the two girls ended up dying of smoke inhalation. So they were alive when all of this happened and then basically suffered a slow death in the fire. Mm-hmm. And the dad in the basement, he ended up being able to get loose and like crawl out and got a neighbor for help. So the dad is still alive. And it was just like, a, but that was another crazy story where like just these random people found them in a grocery store. They tied them up in their house over like this was hours long they waited until the bank opened had her go to the bank and again she went into the bank alone and, then and but they were like why didn't she do anything yeah yeah and i think she she did alert the teller i feel somehow. like she did too i remember something along those lines yeah and that was kind of when it all started coming together but they burned the house down in like a panic yeah but that was another one where she went in there by herself and it just sounds like an unbelievable story I swear we did an episode on it, and Olivia also was like, I swear we've talked about it, but we Googled. I don't think we did an episode on it, Maybe but we'll it would be to. a good one yeah. to do, because it's a case. I followed it closely for a long time, but it's just like a sickening, awful story as well. But I feel like if that didn't come to such a massive, blatant ending, that a lot of that one itself could have been seen as fake. I feel like, you know, everyone should always be erring on the side of caution when someone tells, like, or, you know, says they were had this ordeal, like an ordeal like this. Even with Carly Russell, people believed her for so long until she, you know, till her story just became too unbelievable. Yeah. And it just seems like whenever, and we were just talking about this on Patreon, but like the stranger targeting and stranger abductions and all that are more rare than someone who knows the person but they they do happen some people are just crazy and yeah this guy just like he just picked them out and then spied on them with a drone which is wild (laughs) i guess it just goes to show you that you know if the american nightmare case and the cheshire case and any other crazy ones out there it's easy to just be like oh there's no way that's true and i always talk about how the true crime community online can be pretty toxic with some of the behaviors, but you just never know. Um, that's why a lot of times I know with Lacey, I was showing my bias, but I feel like Lacey's statement, like if, if she hadn't released that statement, I would have been still like, oh, okay, possibly yeah, it happened. But now when she's like, don't make this political, but she talks about Biden and she talks about the border and all that stuff. I'm just like, it's just, 
a statement that is a mess and raises more questions than ever before. She shouldn't have released that statement. And it's one thing for the public to speculate and say, like, you think someone's lying, but the police still have to do their job. And in the American Nightmare one, they absolutely did not do their job. They tried to wipe their hands of that and be like, these people are crazy liars. (laughs) But with this one, with Lacey, people are harassing the police for comment and they're still saying, hey, we're doing an investigation. Please hold. We'll get it back to you, which is what they have to do. I was just looking in our Facebook group because they've been following the Lacey case very closely and as of right now, there is still no DeSoto Police Department statement. They might be by the time the episode comes out, so we'll include it if there is. Um, But, yeah, so now it's been, what was it, February 1. So it's been over two weeks since she was abducted and nothing from the police. Yeah, if there's an update by the time this comes out, which I feel like there probably should be, I'll put in a Surely. So... And if it comes out, she's telling the truth. I'm just going to delete the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I guess, you know what, if it does turn out she's telling the truth, it's a good lesson for all of us to learn that, you know, sometimes the truth is really crazy and can actually, you know, unbelievable Mm -hmm. things do happen. Yep. But that is it for these cases. Like I said, we'll include try to include any updates by the time this actually comes out. But you can always follow us on Instagram too. We're always posting updates there at True Crime Society. And you could follow our personal accounts. Mine is stuff some underscore. Olivia's is TCS Olivia. And you can check us out there. Patreon. We do all the episodes ad-free. We also do weekly bonus episodes, like the one we well, I guess we would have released it last week now, but we just recorded it on on Samantha Murphy. She is a missing Australian woman that a lot of people are talking about online. Maybe that will come to a conclusion by the time this comes out as well. But if you want more content from us, you can check us out on Patreon. And all the usual stuff. Share the podcast. Uh, leave us some nice reviews. Share to your Instagram stories. Always a big help. Help get the word out. And that's really it. So thank you guys for listening. Stay safe out there and peace out. Thank you.